0: Welcome to another episode of Indigenous Roots and Hoots. I'm your host, Gordon Spence, and today my guest is Anna Lamb. Anna is an Inuk actress known for her roles as Sarah in CBC's Trickster and Spring in the movie The Grizzlies. A two-time Canadian screen actor nominee, Anna uses her newfound platform and visibility in the film and television industry to promote Inuit artists, experiences, and stories. Anna was raised in Iqaluit, Nunavut. She is now a student at the University of Ottawa, studying international development and globalization. Outside of acting, she works with Indigenous youth, particularly those living up north, to uplift and empower them through delivery of class sessions with Connected North on self-care and getting involved in the arts. Welcome, Anna, and how are you today?
1: Thanks for having me, Gord. I'm really, really excited. Um, I got my coffee. I got my water. Excited to chat.
0: Great, great. I understand you're in Nova Scotia right now. You're working on some kind of a mini TV production?
1: Yeah, so I'm in Nova Scotia. I booked a small role, my first one since COVID started. So that's really exciting for me to finally be back after, you know, almost, no over a year of not... Having any TV jobs, so it's a small one, but I'm excited.
0: Right on. Why don't we start by um, talking a bit about yourself and where you come from? You're a bit about your family and a bit about your cultural identity. I know you're Inuk. We are connected family-wise, so so talk a bit about where you grew up and a bit about your background. Tapeni Kaluitch.
1: Yeah, so I'm Inuk. I grew up in Akuluit Nunavut. My family, as you know, is originally from Greece fjord originally, originally from Inukjuak, you know, Northern Quebec. For most of my life, I spent time in Iqbalit, most of my you know, elementary, middle, and high school years. But first, we had lived in Greece fjord for a little while. Then my dad became an RCMP officer, and we ended up going back to Iqbalit. Then we went to Pond Inlet, and then back to Iqbalit. But now I'm currently based out of Ontario. I was living in Ottawa, but recently have moved. And now kind of going between Bracebridge and Moosinie, Ontario. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. It's where
0: I am. Can you talk a bit about your culture? Has had an effect on your life and your career choice?
1: So, I think that, you know, I feel that my culture and my life experience growing up, you know, as an Inuk in Aqalit, has completely shaped, you know, my work experience, my, my life experiences so far, and where my trajectory in life is going. You know, I grew up for a very long time ashamed of my identity, of, you know, what was told to me, what, you know, what was Inuit, And, you know, as, young and even Indigenous people as a whole, I know a lot of other people can relate to this, we often are fed really negative stereotypes about our own people in the media, on television, and then over time, you know, you see it and you hear it so many times that you start to internalize it. So you're constantly fed these negative statistics about, you know, domestic violence or substance abuse or alcoholism. And then that kind of starts Becoming intertwined with the reality that you are seeing, with how you start to view the world. And so, you know, I grew up with this internalized racism of what it meant to be Inuk and this shame that I had felt for being Inuk. And I remember, you know, going to my mom and telling her that I wanted to bleach my hair so badly. You know, I wanted to be pretty and I wanted to have blue eyes and all these different things. And it wasn't until high school that I started to be able to critically analyze all of these thoughts that I was having about my identity, about my culture, about where I grew up and start to break down a lot of these feelings to understand where they come from and how to work through them and how, you know, how to shift the narrative that has been created about what it means to be indigenous. And so, you know, over years, and it's still a constant learning and unlearning process, To be proud of where we come from, to be proud of our identity, to be proud of our ancestors and their resilience and their strength and how, you know, they went through so much to get us to where we are right now. And we have to honor them and we have to respect them and we have to, you know, continuously do better in their memory and for what they wanted for us in the future. So as much as I look back on that shame and on that hardship and on, you know, that internal struggle, I'm really grateful that it's led me to this position now where I can be so, so proud of who I am, so, so proud of where I come from, to look back at what, you know, my family, what my ancestors have been through and view it with pride. And then to also be able to understand how a lot of those really difficult circumstances that, you know, our family and our ancestors went through, to be able to understand, you know, why some things are the way they are now, You know, even as hard as they are, even as much as we'd like for them to be different, there's empathy and there's understanding, and that's really important too. So it's definitely led me on this path to wanting to promote Inuit stories and Inuit livelihoods in arts and in mainstream media or, you know, whatever media platform that people want to share them through, as well as pursuing international development and globalization, but with a focus on wanting to go back to my community to promote development in culturally sensitive and specific ways. It's by acknowledging that this experience in my life about the history of our people and, you know, what they've been through and then overcoming that and growing through that inspires me every day to continue doing what I'm doing with empathy and with passion and with love.
0: Right. You know, I grew up with similar, kind of similar thoughts and about feeling ashamed about who I was and I wanted to be something more, or something different. And uh, I think it's a, it's a big struggle for native people, especially because of what people say to us about who we are and all the negative, negative stuff that's thrown at us. And I think uh, we struggle through that, but it gives us more resiliency. As we become young adults, we become stronger and we become better people for it. The difficulty is getting through that process. And, and when you're a young, person and you know i'm trying to live that but i totally understand what you're saying so with that i wanted to ask you also um you managed to get through high school you started to rediscover your who you really are and the positive side of your life at what point did you decide to become an actor get into acting
1: so I don't think there was ever like a very clear, distinct point where I, you know, I suddenly went, I, w- I want to be an actor, you know, acting as a career that I want to do. It was something that I was kind of led and guided towards. I was 15 years old when the opportunity came up about Grizzlies. and it didn't start out as like, you know, here's an audition for a movie. Miranda Dupontier and her crew, who are the you know, creators of Grizzlies, Alethea, Anna Baril and Stacey Abluk-McDonald, who are the producers, they sent out this call for, you know, youth who wanted to do arts to be a part of this workshop that was going to happen in Iqalit. So they ended up, you know, sending out what's called sides, but it's like a little audition script to get into the workshop. And I was, you know, grade 10 in drama. And I'd always kind of liked drama because I was, I was shy, but I really enjoyed, like, the performance aspect. But I never, you know, anticipated or really thought about pursuing acting as a career because growing up, you know, in Iqalit, there wasn't really that opportunity that existed. It wasn't every, every week that you heard a casting call or that there was an opportunity for a film to be shot in Iqalit. But my drama teacher, she saw that I enjoyed drama, and she showed everybody this, you know, call for this workshop. But then towards the end of the class, she came up to me. She was like, "Anna, I really want you to try this. I think it's something that you really like. So, you know, I was like, "Okay." The audition was held in the high school in Iqalit. But there was also cameras sent all across Nunavut, all across Inuit. Or no, not Inuit, but Nunavut NWT auditioned 600 kids. 60 made it into the workshop. But I remember before I went to go audition in Iqalit, I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I was like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Why Why do I think I can be an actor? I'm this kid who grew up in Nakhleit and you know, I'm 15 years old. I'm not Hollywood, <laughs> but you know, I got up off the edge of my bed cause my dad said he was coming to pick me up for this audition. He was gonna drop me off. I'm gonna tell me when I was done. So I was sitting in the library because I was, you know, in line to do these auditions and I was so scared. My heart was, you know, beating out of my chest. But I remember walking into that audition room with like the most fake confidence that I could put on. And I was like, Hi, my name's Anna Lam. I'm 15 years old from Iqavi, Nunavut. And, you know, went on to do a, a decent audition, I think. <laughs> and I got into this workshop. I ended up getting into this workshop and having a really, really great week. Um, met Inuit from all over Nunavut, also from Northwest Territories. We did so many different things. We did hip-hop dancing, which I was really bad at because I'm not a very good dancer, but did it anyways. Yoga. We did Greenland face mask dancing with look. We learned how to do behind-the-camera stuff and the basics, the foundations of acting. We did all these things throughout the week. And then at the end of the week, it was an option. If you want to audition for a role in the Grizzlies, you can but if you don't want to audition, if you feel like it's not for you, then I hope you learned something this week that you can take back to your community and you can teach them, you know, what you learned, or you can do a program that relates to something you've learned this week. And that was a really, really great part of that workshop. But by the end of the week, I was like, you know, I just spent my my winter break doing this workshop. Like I'm going to audition for the Grizzlies and I'm going to try really hard. And,
0: It ended up, you know, it
1: ended up working out. And it was at that point that I was like, okay, I'm gonna act. I don't know if I would call myself an actor, but I'm gonna act. You know, we ended up doing the Grizzlies. I really enjoyed acting. I think I did one audition after that and had not picked up acting, you know, for the rest of high school, for my first year of university, hadn't even really thought about it. Grizzlies came out, Grizzlies was a huge success. ended up being nominated for a Canadian Screen Award. But even then, I don't think I realized the magnitude of what, of what a Canadian Screen Award was. Like, it's an Academy Award. It's, it's a pretty big award as an actor. But being somebody who doesn't come from an acting background or an arts background, I still was like, I, I acted. I'm not an actor. And I don't think I'm going to be an actor. But then this, this audition came up for Trickster. And it was something that I saw on Facebook. It was, you know, an ad posted by the director and she was looking for lead male, lead female and, you know, just send an email to this casting assistant or casting associate and we'll get back to you. And I went that whole week. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm working for the government of Nunavut. I'm going back to university. Not going to do it. I'm busy. And then, you know, the day before the auditions closed, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, All right, I'll do it. (laughs) And ended up getting the sides, spent the whole night practicing, did the audition in the morning, sent it that afternoon, but almost missed the deadline because my Nunavut Wi-Fi was so slow. It took me hours to send that little audition and it ended up working out. You know, I got a call back and then I got another call back. And then, you know, I had a phone call with the director that went really well, and then that last call back, and they were like, okay, you know, here's Sarah. Like, you know, so it was at that point that I was like, I'm gonna act again, and I think that's really cool, but it was throughout the process of Trickster filming, you know, going to Kitimat, BC, and meeting all of these, like, high-profile actors and people who were going to go on to become high-profile actors, like Joel Oulette, who is doing absolutely amazing things, who played Jared in Trickster. And so it was like this process of like, I really enjoy acting. This is somewhere where I feel like, you know, my voice and my background and my story is heard. And then from that point on, I just decided to pursue acting. It wasn't like an active decision, but it was like, I found an agent I keep doing auditions, and as much as I'm still a university student, as much as I'm still somebody who wants to go forward and do advocacy work within my community, I also I want to be an actor at the same time and you know, intertwined with all of those things. And it's been a really, really great experience, especially with Grizzlies and with Trickster, to see how advocacy and, and activism intertwines with acting and arts. So... That's like my my story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good. You know, it amazes me that when you're talking about auditioning for uh, the Grizzlies, I guess in preparation for it, you said we had a workshop for a week uh, doing different things. I think that's pretty good for that production company to do that—to spend time with the young people at first and showing them different aspects of the film industry and what you were talking about—the dance, the various dancing and and behind the scenes working with the camera and different dances that you're doing role-playing, I guess. Uh, I'm quite amazed that the, you know, the production company would actually spend the time and the money to do that. And I think that's pretty good. And it would allow you to be become more comfortable and to get a good feel of uh, what you were getting into. But I also wanted to ask you was how difficult it is to step into a role of a character and and creating a character other than who you are. How difficult is that to find that character that's in the script that, that you're going to be playing?
1: I think I've been really fortunate in both of my roles. You know, when I played Spring in the Grizzlies, I was 15 years old. I was very unsure of myself. You know, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence and I, you know, I allowed myself to be pushed over at that time in my life. And so I felt even though you know i might not have experienced exactly what spring had experienced and my life story may be different from hers but that underlying you know uncertainty and that underlying lack of confidence in myself was very much there already and it was something that connected me to that character right from the very beginning and you know as spring goes through this transformation in the grizzlies where she comes out of her hardship as a stronger more resilient person I had also felt like I had gained a lot of strength through the Grizzlies, through that experience, because Grizzlies covered a lot of difficult topics, such as suicide, such as food insecurity, all these different things. And, you know, in different ways, I found myself relating to a lot of different situations and a lot of different characters. And so it was really hard to go into work every day and portray all of those really difficult emotions when they are so interconnected with your own and what you have already experienced already. So, you know, playing spring, there was so many already existing connections that I was able to grow as a person through her as well. You know, it was like a character arc, but then also like my own personal character arc, which was really, really nice. And then playing Sarah as well was a really, really great experience. Sarah was somebody who was so sure of herself and so confident and you know this activist and somebody who just wanted better for her community all the time and you know I felt that as well and it was something that I related to and I remember after the auditioning process you know once my role as Sarah was solidified and we were doing stuff actually with Trickster you know one of the people who was part of casting me had said when we were watching your audition, there was something in your eyes that said that you had experienced, you know, hardship and a lot of similar struggles that Sarah had experienced. And I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, as I feel like as Indigenous people, you know, as a young you know, it's really hard to go through life unscathed of hardship and unscathed of certain struggles that are really specific to being Indigenous. And so I feel like playing Indigenous characters who are you know very, I don't want to say like actively Indigenous, but like it's rooted in Indigeneity is, and our hardships and our struggles, but also our resilience and our perseverance makes it a lot easier to relate to characters than people realize sometimes. Because I remember when Trickster came out and even when Grizzlies came out, there's people that would say, I relate to your character so much. And, you know, I'm, it's something that, is always a really great thing to hear, to know that like these characters, they are authentic people's experiences. They're very authentically Indigenous. And so it can be easier to play these roles than other ones, I feel.
0: I wanted to touch on a, a very difficult subject. You don't need to spend too much time on it, but I wanted to get your feelings on the suicide issue That's you know been a, a big problem in the North. What are your feelings on that? I just want to hear what you have to say about it without going into too much detail.
1: So the suicide epidemic in Nunavut is one that is very, very close to my heart. And it's one that I'm sure is very, very close to the hearts of many Inuit because it is so impossible to escape it in Nunavut. It is so close at all times. It happens way, way too often. And there's just not enough being done in Nunavut to combat the suicide epidemic. And when you really start to look at it, you know, you can have as many mental health resources as you want. But when you're denying Inuit, you know, the basic necessities to life, the housing crisis, food insecurity, violence, all these different things that Inuit are facing. And then the suicide epidemic is like a result of all of that. And so... The suicide epidemic, it was one of those things that really pushed me into the university career that I'm in now in development, because in in my personal opinion, I, I don't really have any research or studies or anything to back all this up, and I don't feel like I should need to, but I do think that the suicide epidemic, the mental health crisis that we're experiencing in Nunavut is a result of so many other basic necessities being denied, in part to the housing crisis that, you know, people don't have safe housing, they don't have safe homes, they are way closer in proximity to violence, to trauma, than they would be if they could have their own homes or their own spaces. You know, people don't have enough money to buy food for their families because food is so expensive and so inaccessible, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, like, I can't say that solving the suicide epidemic is clear and it's definitely not easy and it's something that they've been fighting for years but I really do think that promoting and protecting the basic necessities of life it would be a huge step forward in fighting the suicide epidemic.
0: Yeah so you don't think it's like one one single issue you think it's a combination of everything that's going on up there?
1: Yeah, like I don't think you can say, and this is one of those weird things, because people, they act like Inuit are inherently more likely to be alcoholics or to be substance users or to have uh, mental illness or they're more susceptible to suicide. Like, we're not, but we're put in these situations where we're denied our basic necessities, we're facing intergenerational trauma without the actual supports to work through it. And then, you know, you try to blame us for this mental health crisis, and the suicide epidemic without acknowledging what led us to that point. You know, Inuit aren't inherently more susceptible to mental illness or a suicide. They are just put in so many more difficult situations that lead them to these points. You know what I mean? And they're not given the resources to be able to combat these things adequately or appropriately. And so I really do feel like it's a combination of so many different things that we experience in Nunavut. And to be able to actually address the suicide crisis, the mental health crisis, in a comprehensive and appropriate way would be to acknowledge all of those things, to combat all of those things, and see how people improve mental health-wise as that happens.
0: Yeah, it's just an incredible... I don't know how to describe it. It's just an incredible pandemic almost not a pandemic but it's a a crisis that continues to happen and I've heard it so often over the years it's just an incredible story and it just makes you wonder deeply what people are going through how difficult life must be up there for them to go that far hopefully the government and the Inuit organizations will continue to work with the people the young people especially in the Try and uh, make uh, make a breakthrough, or at least you know prevent some cases from happening, uh, prevent some young people from taking into their lives. Like you said, you know, need, more needs to be done in this area. More effort and more time needs to be spent in this area. And I really, I really feel for the families and the the young people that are you know that that have gone through these difficult times. The other thing I wanted to uh, wanted to ask you about growing up. What would you say your biggest influences in your life have been so far?
1: So my biggest influences in my life, one of them is definitely my dad. My dad has always been my biggest supporter. He's always been the person that's pushed me to do better. He's always been the person who tests every single one of my limits and what I'm capable of and pushed me to always work harder and work farther. And he is, he is the reason why I can speak the way that I do now and why, you know, I speak so passionately and so strongly is because I remember so many days when we'd be sitting at the kitchen table having these arguments and he would push everything that I argued. Why? 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 Why do you feel that way? Why do you think that is, you know, what do you want for the future? And it led me to being able to build a lot stronger arguments, to being able to get my points across, very thorough and effective ways, and it also taught me to talk a lot, which I feel like judging by my answers, you can tell that it's one of those things where like, yeah, I I can talk a lot now. Another one was my Ananit Chak, Rhyne Flaherty, who I am named after. She is the strongest woman I've ever known. You know, she was alive for half my life, and I'm very grateful that I got to, you know, spend time with her and to be around her and to grow up with her she is somebody who, you know, embodies resilience and perseverance and strength. And what Inuit's capabilities are as somebody, you know, she was somebody who was brought to Greece Fjord. She was part of the higher relocations, and she was somebody who persevered out of that, who went on to have children who, as you know, are, you know, are very successful, who have grandchildren that are very success- successful and as her great grandchild to continue, you know, that line of just, Inuit excellence, you know, that strength, that perseverance, and being able to carry that, that history and that knowledge that she had. And it's something that I, you know, I hold in my heart with great pride. And, you know, as one of her namesakes, I'm very grateful. I have some of her scarves now that remind me of her very floral, like granny scarves. And I always, I carry them with me whenever I travel, always hold her close to my heart
0: because I know that she's always there watching over and... Yeah, yeah. Granny scars. I love that. My mother has some. Yeah, I mean, she, she was a uh, riding Flaherty. She was quite an amazing woman to be able to, at a young age, be relocated to Northern Quebec with her family to the high Arctic, and to be able to survive up there in those extreme, extreme conditions, especially in the winter, without any help from the government. Uh, they did it on their own, and uh, man, that's an incredible story in itself. I mean, that's a long story, and that's that's a, an amazing story of, sort of uh, survival, and uh, we don't have time to go into it now, but I mean, maybe at another time or with someone else, we can discuss it, but if people are interested, you know, there is a story there that about the relocation of the Inuit from Northern Quebec to the High Arctic, and the incredible journey they went through and how Ryan e. Flared, he raised a family up there and uh, managed to survive and bring his children up. Yeah, it's an incredible story. We're getting kind of close to the end of this podcast and I wanted to just touch on something that's probably stands out in your mind, you know, and probably will for a long time. You received a nomination for that role in the movie The Grizzlies. Can you describe how you felt that evening and going there and just being nominated how, how, how did that feel like um, that must been an incredible high
1: it was such a surreal feeling and i remember the day of the nominations like i was i had not you know expected it whatsoever and i didn't even know that i had been or maybe i did know and i just don't remember that i had been submitted for you know to look at for these nominations and it was the morning that the, the nominations came out and I was tagged in a Facebook post, you know, congratulations, Paul Nuttagariak, Thomas Lamb, Hyper-T, and Anna Lamb for your nominations for Canadian Screen Awards. And I was like, I was shaking. I was like, did they tag the wrong person? Do they do they actually mean me? You know, and I, I was going, it was like two hours before I actually was like, I got nominated for something. That's really cool. And it was just this like, this unreal, like, sense of like wow like I never expected to have come this far when I was 15 years old sitting on the edge of my bed questioning whether or not I'm even gonna audition for the workshop and to now have my work with Grizzlies recognized you know with an Academy Award and then even throughout that whole time until we got to the actual day of the awards I didn't realize how big of an award a Canadian Screen Award was and I remember the director telling me she was like Ana, this, this is an Academy Award. Like, this is a big award. This means a lot for you. And I was like, huh, I guess it does. And so <laughs> it was just like one of those, like, really unreal feelings. And I remember, you know, getting ready for the awards. You know, I received the Victoria's Arctic Fashion, you know, white dress with the beads that, you know, the Grizzlies team was able to get their hands on for me. And getting hair and makeup done and I was like this feels pretty Hollywood to me this is pretty cool
0: pretty cool yeah
1: (laughs) it was just like such a fun experience it was like you know you never expect to go from growing up in Nunavut to suddenly being on a red carpet and that was a really cool experience to see other actors and people that you know I had seen in tv shows growing up seeing in tv shows and then having them compliment me I was like
0: well,
1: yeah. This is one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. And so it really, really projected my career, my recognition across Indigenous film and television, and then also just this, the success of Grizzlies in general has made a lot of our faces more common on Indigenous media and in mainstream media as well. And it was one of those things that was really funny to be recognized, you know, around Ottawa for. And then even in Akulit, like I grew up in Akulit, but when I was in university, like away for university, that's when Grizzlies came out. And so I went back to El Calais that summer to work. And then suddenly I wasn't being recognized as Anna anymore. I was being recognized as Spring from the Grizzlies, which is a really funny experience. But I also feel like it was really helpful in, you know, securing my spot with Trickster to have that recognition. And then I guess this the second Canadian Screen Award nomination for Trickster has really solidified this feeling that like, Okay, I I can act. And, you know, I always thought that that first Canadian Screen Award nomination was a fluke, like it was just one of those things I got lucky with. But the second nomination has really made me feel like, you know, like I I can do it. I can I can take up the space. I can be an Inuk actress. And, you know, that means something. And I can be proud of that title.
0: Absolutely. You can uh, you can take that, just take that and run with it as far as you can. You know, you've made your family very proud. So many people are proud of you. Um, I'm sure, you know, all of the people in Unabud are proud of you. People in the Hollywood are proud of your family, your friends. You've done so much in such a short time, and I'm sure you're going to have a great lasting career. But we're getting close to the end of our podcast. Uh, i got a couple more questions for you. First one is, what, what do you plan to do in the future? Uh, are you going to continue university? I know you probably can, can continue to look for parts and acting. Are you also going to continue your university education?
1: Yeah, I'm in too deep with university now. I got to finish it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. That's good, yeah.
1: My degree is important to me. It's important that I get it. and You know, I I don't put all my eggs in one basket with acting, and I continue to follow my heart with advocacy and activism and get my degree and continue serving my community in
0: that way as well. Yeah. A lot of great actors have gone to university and uh, have spent years studying abroad, like in... uh, where is that place in Cambridge where they study Shakespeare? Is it Oxford? I think it's Oxford. Yeah, I could be right. Uh, I had a friend. He's also a, he's also an actor. Mike Lorschach. I don't know if you know him. He's an Aboriginal actor. He was in uh, Indian Horse. Yeah, he played a part in that. And uh, I grew up with him. Uh, we were kids, friends as kids. But anyways, I ran into him on a plane once. I think we were going to Winnipeg. And we're on the same flight. And he said that he was on his way to England to, I think it was Oxford, to spend the summer acting in in the theaters, you know, getting that experience. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool, you know, to do something like that. And, you know, he was only, he was doing it to enhance his acting abilities. The last question I want to ask you was, you know, To inspire people, you have to do things, you have to say things to people, you know, young people, especially in Inuit, First Nations, Métis, they're always, you know, in some ways looking for inspiration. And it could come from people like you. Have you had something to say to these young people, like young Inuit, young First Nations, Métis? Is there anything that you'd like to say?
1: I'd like to say that I understand what it feels like to come from a place where you feel like your story and your history and your experiences are unheard and you feel like they're treated as unimportant by the rest of Canada and you feel like there's no place for you in, you know, arts and in media and in storytelling because so often our stories are swept under the rug or they're not given the attention that they deserve. And I want to tell Inuit youth, First Nations youth, Metis youth, that absolutely 100% we have a place in media. You know, we've made our place in media. We continue to grow. We continue to flourish and to be so, so successful and so just incredible in the stories that we share, in the experiences that we share, in the art that we share. And, you know, for so long, we were marginalized in media for so long we were actively kept out of it but we've made our own places and we continue to make our own places we continue to support one another indigenous film and television indigenous arts has been one of the most uplifting and supportive spaces that i've ever been in and i'm so so grateful to have peers and friends and family who understand the experiences who are willing to give so much support and to be so uplifting in, you know, supporting me and telling my story and, you know, creating safer places for Indigenous people to pursue what they dream about, to pursue these careers that, you know, we generally don't think of for ourselves. And so, you know, Indigenous youth, take that opportunity, take that chance, pursue that career, you know, y- you have a space. There is a space for you. And even if there isn't, if you don't find it right away, make a space for you and continue to pursue it. There are so many people that are willing to support you, that want to support you, that wanna see you do well. You know, we as Indigenous creators and artists and media folks, we just we want to see our own people succeed and continue to push these stories. So pursue it. It's scary, but it's it's worth it.
0: Excellent. Yes, very well said. I think you know. The things that are most difficult to achieve or the things that, that you got to work the hardest at are, are the things that, that, you know, like they say, best things in life don't come easy. So if you're afraid of something, you know, just go for it, right? I mean, uh, work hard at it and don't be afraid to, to take it off. The last part of our podcast of Roots and Hoots is the what we call the hoots part. You know, that Aboriginal people are funny people telling jokes and stories about each other, about their lives, we ask our guests if they'd be interested, if they would want to tell a joke, you know, kind of close it off. If you have a joke or if you have a song you like to sing, uh, Anna, do you have something for us uh, to close us off?
1: I don't have a joke, but I'll, I'll tell one of my favorite funny stories from Trickster because it's one that I look back on and I, I love it. So one evening, myself, Joel, who plays Jared, his brother, and Nathan Alexis, who plays Crash Pad, we were all hanging out at this place Nathan was staying in. It was like right on the water in North Bay, like beautiful view, and there was a fire pit outside. So we're like, okay, like, let's have a little fire. Like, this could be really cool. And it'd be nice to just chat and hang out. And so for like 45 minutes, we're trying to start this fire. And like, we're just looking at each other. Like, what are we doing wrong? A bunch of natives don't even know how to start a fire. And so like it just, it would start for like 30 seconds and then it would fizzle out and we'd just see like a little thing of smoke. And so we're just sitting in the dark at that point, gave up on the fire. And we hear people coming from the front of the house, going around the side. And we're like, who is that? When you see this big guy and it's a guy in a fire suit and he says, heard you guys are trying to have a fire. That's, you can't do that here. No fires here. And we're like, Well, it's good that it didn't start then. (laughs) You know, we couldn't get a fire started. So the firefighters are laughing at us. They're like, you couldn't start a fire in a fire pit. (laughs) And so (laughs) apparently the neighbors had called the fire department on us and just basically came to laugh at us. And then, you know, the firefighters leave and we're sitting around laughing. And then all of a sudden the fire started like it just, like it just, (sighs) a little flame. So we were like, all right, the ancestors are watching, taking care of us. They waited until the (laughs) fire department was gone.
0: So that's that's one of my favorite stories. Wow. That's funny. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anna, for taking the time to talk to us. You have a beautiful story and you're talented. You're a beautiful person. You have a unique background, you know, and uh, you come from a very uh, interesting place. a Hollywood, Nunavut. I know your dad is from uh, Newfoundland. You're an inspiration to young people, and I think you've got a very bright future. And I look forward to seeing more about you, and hearing more about you, and um, seeing your career rise and go as far as it can. And thank you. Well, I want to thank, on behalf of the Legacy Hope Foundation, I thank you for taking the time to to join us today on this podcast of Roots and Hoots. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Gord. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate you having me today. It was great to chat, and it was nice to be able to chat again after so long. I know I haven't seen you in a long time. So thank you for having me again.
0: Take you, sir.
1: Roots and Hoots is produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. For more podcasts like this, please visit our website at
0: legacyofhope.ca.